0: Those of you here in the auditorium, I'm going to ask if you would take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 3, Luke chapter 3, and this morning we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6, and then Pastor will be having a message entitled, The Call to Prepare, The Call to Prepare, and we will be looking at Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, stand with me if you would please, for the reading of God's word. Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod, being Tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Icharia, and of the region of Trachonantius, and Linnaeus, the the Tetrarch of Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas, being the high priest, the word of God came up to John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be brought low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways shall be made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for our pastor who so faithfully preaches the word of God each and every week. We ask now, Lord, that you would bless him, anoint him with the power of the Holy Spirit. Give us ears to hear, hearts to obey, what the man of God would have for us today. And we'll be sure to give you the thanks and praise. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. may be seated
1: amen if you're happy you're saved today would you say amen Amen. full disclosure i let frank read those names so i didn't have to we are in luke chapter three this morning Uh, i'm happy to announce that it is 2024 and church still matters Amen? amen church still matters now this is kind of what we're going to be looking at this year the church is the body of christ amen We are God's physical representation here on earth. We're his witnesses. We're his ambassadors. We're his heralds. Now, call me crazy, but if the church is to be the body of Christ, then the church ought to be like Christ. I mean, that makes sense. Amen? If we're going to call ourselves his body, we ought to be like him. If we're going to be like him, help me now, it only makes sense that we spend some time with him, amen, Amen. that we study him, we learn from him, that we may be true followers and disciples of him. And so this morning, we're going to start a study in the book of Luke, and we're going to be in the book of Luke a lot on Sunday mornings this year, walking with Jesus, watching Jesus, listening to Jesus, worshiping Jesus, why? So that the Holy Spirit might conform our lives into the image of the precious Son of God. Hey, that's what we want, amen? We want to be like Jesus. So we're going to start this morning with Luke chapter 3 and the message of John the Baptist. Now, God sending his word... To and through John the Baptist really broke the 400 years of silence from heaven. Now, this chapter opens with a list of politicians. But isn't it interesting to note that when God sent his word, the word of the Lord didn't come through the government. Can I get an amen? Amen. We also find here a list of religious leaders. I think it's important for us to recognize as well that it wasn't that God just didn't send his word through the government, but the word of the Lord also didn't come through the trappings of organized religion. No, the word of God came through one who was called by God and one who had set himself apart to seek God and be used of God. And John's message here in Luke 3, and we find it in in Matthew and John as well, but John the Baptist's message here in Luke 3 is a call to prepare for Messiah. It is a call to prepare for Jesus. John was to address and to remove the things that hindered men from receiving and following Christ. We see that fulfillment of prophecy in verses 4 and 5. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, Make, make his paths level or straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be brought low, the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth. John was to remove the barriers, the hindrances, from men receiving and following Christ. You know, I think it's an important thing to make sure that our heart is ready, that our heart is right, that our heart is responsive to the Lord Jesus. And I think it's good for you and I as a church that before we go on this journey with Jesus, before we walk with Him through the book of Luke, before we sit at His feet and see His miracles, boy, we need to make sure that our hearts are ready too. And so this morning, we're going to look at the message of John the Baptist. It is a call to prepare. And there are some important truths for all of us here this morning. Look with me at Luke chapter 3, and thanks to Brother Frank's willingness, we're going to pick up in verse number 3. The Bible says there, and he came, uh, speaking of John, and he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance. Repentance. For the remission of sin, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low. The crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of the Lord. Verse 7, Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. So let's consider John the Baptist's message this morning as we consider the call to prepare. Consider with me, number one, that the call to prepare is often a call to change direction. The call to prepare for the Lord is often a call to change direction. Humanity, I don't know if you know this or not, but humanity has a really big problem. The problem with humanity is that every single one of us are born headed in the wrong direction. We are all born sinners on our way to hell. Romans chapter 3 beginning in verse 10 is one of the many places that describes humanity's condition. As it is written... There is, what church? There is none righteous, no, not one. Verse 11, there is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is that doeth good, no, not one. Hmm, humanity has a really big problem. We are all born in sin, running headlong in the wrong direction. We are all born depraved, dead in trespasses and sin. Romans uh, 5 and verse number 12 tells us that as by one man, speaking of Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for that all have sin. We are born depraved, we are born in sin, and we are dead in trespasses in sin. The Bible also describes us that, that we are born loving our sin like a dog loves its own vomit. 2nd Peter 2 in verse number 22 talks about the true proverb, the dog is returned to his own vomit again and the sow, the pig that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Humanity has a really big problem. We are all born sinners. We are all born running headlong away from God, running headlong towards doom and destruction. I want you to know this morning, no matter what the culture says, we are human, humankind is not basically good. We are not. Also, no matter what the society around you may say, humankind is not born a blank slate that just needs to be formed by the right nurturing environment. No, humankind, every one of us, is born broken, full of error. John the Baptist's message was simple. It was direct. It was a call to repent. Now, what is repentance, you might ask? Repentance is is simply a call to turn around, to turn around. It is a change of mind and heart that leads to a change of direction. Now, why is that important? Well, left to ourselves, we will choose anything but God. Think about Adam. God gave Adam and Eve all of creation, and said, enjoy. It is all very good. But the one tree, don't eat that. So what did they do? They ate that. And then when they ate it, did they say, oh, God, we're so sorry? They said, oh, no, here he comes. (laughs) (laughs) Because left to ourselves, what? We will choose anything but God. Think about the children of Israel. They got brought up out of Egypt with a mighty hand. You think about the plagues and the parting of the Red Sea. And when they got to Mount Sinai, how God came down upon that mountain, fire and smoke and thunders and lightnings. And then like 40 whole days later, that's such a long time, right? They're like, I don't know what happened to Moses. Hmm. Let's make a golden calf and worship that. That seems like a good idea. Why? Because left to ourselves, what do we do? We choose everything but God. Look at the insanity around us. My oh my, why has humanity chosen to do the things we have chosen to do? I watch the I try not to watch the news, but sometimes I watch the news and I just have to scratch my head and say, "What on earth are we doing?" But you know what we're doing? We're just doing what we've always done. Left to ourselves, we will choose everything but God. But praise God, God loves us and in his grace, he doesn't leave us without hope. Amen. But John the Baptist calls these people to wake up, to recognize the direction they are headed and to repent. It is a call to change direction. By the way, isn't it remarkable how even after we are saved, our hearts are still prone to wander from God? Our hearts are still prone to to wander into sinful action and to dabble into sinful appetites and engage in sinful attitudes and maintain sinful assumptions. I mean, I tell you, even after we have turned to Christ and we are born again and It's almost like sometimes we get this spiritual ADD, right? And like, I want to follow Jesus. And then it's like, ooh, a squirrel. (laughs) I'm going to follow that. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? And so John comes on the scene And you know what? He's going to address the problem for what it is. He says, listen up, folks. We've got a problem. We are headed in the wrong direction. And we got to turn around. And John is very direct, isn't he? Did you notice verse number 7? Then he said to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of, what did he call them? Now what if I had got up this morning and said, Welcome, you bunch of filthy snakes. (laughs) You bunch of filthy snakes. How how would that have gone over? Yeah, you see, John wasn't really into the seeker-sensitive thing, right? There's like that that idea that, well, you know, we should just build people up and make them feel good. And if we just make them feel good, that'll be good. Amen? Nope, 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 nope. Because the problem with just making people feel good is if they're running in the wrong direction... Making them feel good on their way to death and hell is not a good thing. It's like complimenting someone's driving as they drive towards the edge of a cliff. Boy, you accelerate real smooth. Ah. (laughs) Think about it this way. If you have a major medical issue, you have a major problem. I think about when, you know, praise the Lord, it's so many years ago now, but I think about when the doctor came in and told me I had cancer. You know what he didn't do? He didn't come in and say, Well, well, Mr. Holmes, I have good news. You know, for somebody of your age, you've really managed your weight and blood pressure pretty well. You're doing pretty good, man. I, I, do, you, do you what do you do for an exercise routine like like, like Mr. Holmes, I need to compliment you boy your, your, your weight, your blood pressure you're your sharp, I can tell you try to take care of yourself and yada, 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 yada. boy, Mr. Holmes, you should really feel good about yourself. high fives all around woohoo everybody's awesome, right? Oh by the way, Mr. Holmes, um, you know <sighs> I don't want to make you feel bad, but, you know, there's this, there's, this, there's this little thing that, you know, maybe at some point you might want to address, you know, you, you got this cancer in you, and, and, and I don't want to make you feel bad, it's not that, is that what the doctor does? Is that what we want the doctor to do? No, he doesn't come in and compliment you on your haircut, on your blood pressure, on your weight, on, your, on, on whatever else you've done, he comes in and says, look, we've got a problem, and if we don't do something about this problem right now, it's going to be a bigger problem. Can I tell you, humanity has a problem. Our flesh has a problem. And John comes on the scene and he points out man's problem. Why? So that man can feel bad about himself? No. But I'm going to tell you, once you see the problem, you can begin to see the solution. You know, the funny thing about God's grace is it's available to who? Well, it's available to all, but really in a practical way, it's available to those who know they need it. What did we see in James 4 and verse number 6? That God gives grace to the humble. It's hard, to, it's hard for somebody who doesn't recognize their sin to recognize their need of a Savior, amen? But the great thing about God's grace is this. It is doesn't no matter how great our depravity is, His grace is greater. Bible says where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Now, a lot of people look at repentance as a negative thing. Oh, repentance is such a hard and harsh and negative thing. Repentance is not a negative thing. The call to change direction, to to have a change of heart and mind that leads to a change of action is not a negative thing. It is really the most positive thing imaginable. Because when I have that change of heart and mind and I receive Christ in faith, you know what happens? Boy, that turn is the thing that leads from darkness to light. That turn is the thing that leads from death to life. And the beautiful thing about repentance is that change of direction is available to anyone, anywhere, any time, who would call upon the Lord. I'm going to tell you, church, if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. I want you to know in love this morning, you're headed in the wrong direction. And you need to turn to Christ in faith today. Church, I'm going to tell you, we need to evaluate our hearts because we do. We do, we do, we do. We have the spiritual ADD and we are all over the place. And the spiritual need of this church is not about going where I want to go and getting what I want to get. It is about getting to Him. It's about following Him. It's about becoming more like Him. And in order to do that, we must humble ourselves and turn our heart to Him. The call to prepare, first of all, is a call to change direction. But I want you to see what else John says. We'll pick back up in verse number 7 with me. The Bible says this. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers. I love that. Maybe I'll try that one day. Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath of come? Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able to raise up able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit, is hewn down and cast into the fire. And the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? And he answereth and saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also publicans to be baptized and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, exact no more than that which is appointed you. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, what shall we do? And he said unto them, do, no vi- do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. Boy, there's a sermon right there for our society in there, but I will digress from that. So the call to prepare, first of all, is a call to change direction. Church, Christian, when's the last time we intentionally, consciously humbled our hearts and turned them to the Savior? But it's not only a call to change direction. I want you to note, secondly, it is a call to confront deception. Because not only is humanity depraved, but the heart is deceitful. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 reminds us of that. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know, I think it's easy for us to gloss over how natural it is for us to deceive ourselves. Proverbs 21 in verse number 2 reminds us that every way of a man is right in his own eyes. Now, let me ask you, is every way of a man right, church? No. But boy, it's really easy for us to justify it, isn't it? It's really easy for us to deceive ourselves. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. The problem is, is you're right. Not every way of a man is right. And Proverbs 14 and verse 12 reminds us that there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And John here, as he uh, talks and preaches with the people, John begins to call out several aspects of of self-deception and hypocrisy that were present in the crowd. First of all, verse 7 and 8. Verse 7, he calls them a generation of vipers. Verse 8, he says, Begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. Now here's what John was pointing out here. These people, especially the religious leaders of the day, assumed that they were right with God because of their nationality. They thought because they were Jewish... Well, then that just automatically means I'm God's child and that I'm right with him and and that automatically puts me in good standing. But they had deceived themselves. They thought because they were children of Abraham that they were automatically children of God. But that is not true. In fact, when John calls them a brood or a generation of vipers, let me ask you, who's the serpent in the Scripture? So you see what John was saying. You think you're a child of God just because you're a child of Abraham. But the reality is you're a child of the devil. You brood of vipers. We'll open with that next week. Welcome, children of the devil, brood of vipers. <laughs> Prepare for church. <laughs> but you know, it's really not that much different from today. Today. So many people just assume they are children of God. People assume they're children of God because they go to a certain church. But going to a certain church isn't what makes you a child of God. Right. That's right. I've said it before, I'll say it again. You can wear your denominational name tag all you want, but it's either going to fall off in heaven or burn off in hell. But it ain't going to do a lick of good getting you either of the places. People assume they're a child of God because they go to a certain church. People assume they're a child of God because, boy, they think they're a good person. By the way, there is none good, no, not one. People assume they're a child of God. this is a big one, because they have had some sort of experience. Well, I felt God. Sometimes I ask people, you know, basically, how do you know that, that, that your sins are forgiven? You're a part of the, How do you know you're going to go to heaven? And when, well, when I was 24 years old, I was driving down the road, and, and Jesus takes the wheel came on, and I had this warm, fuzzy feeling in my heart, and, and now I know. Nope, sorry. Or people say, well, when I was 12, I drowned in the lake, and I saw a bright light. All of these things I have heard, many of you have heard. And I felt God bring me back, and God brought me through, and, and that's how I know. I'm going to tell you, none of that is what makes you a child of God. That's right. And I think we need to make a distinction here. How many times I have heard people say, well, we're all God's children. The reality is, no, we're not. We're all God's creation. We're all loved by God. But God's children are those who are born again into God's family. John 1 in verse number 12 teaches us, But as many as received him, to them gave, them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. That's how you get to become a child of God. You receive the Lord Jesus Christ. You recognize that your sin separates you from God. You couldn't get to Him. But He loved you so much that He came to you. The wage, the penalty, the consequence of my sin is death. But He loved me so much, He died my death on a cross. He was buried and He rose again that I might have His life. And the Bible says He offers that gift of eternal life to whosoever believeth on Him. If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord, I love you, but you are headed in the wrong direction. If you are here this morning and there has never been that point in time where you have received the Lord Jesus as your Savior, putting your faith and trust in who He is as the Son of God, what He's done in dying for your sins, If you have questions about what that means, get it settled today. Just get saved. We find here that John deals with the deception of heart, where people just assume that they're all right with God. And I'm going to tell you, that is a dangerous assumption to make. So we see here John deals with, it's a call to confront de- uh, the deception of heart. But also, I want you to notice that John also confronts the deception of an inconsistent life. You have these people in verse 10 that come to him and saying, Oh, what shall we do? Uh, you'll remember in verse number 8, he called, bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. So what's John talking about here? Well, we have these people who were coming claiming repentance, but John calls them out. When he talks about bringing fruits worthy of repentance, what he is not teaching is that works are repentance or that works are a means of grace. That is not what John is teaching here. But what John is stating is that someone who has truly turned their heart in faith to the Lord will have a life that outwardly demonstrates that inward change of direction. Ephesians 4 beginning in verse 20 reminds us of this. Reminds us that for those of us who claim to know Christ, we, we have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Look what it says. That ye put off concerning the old lifestyle, the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which is which after God is created in righteousness and holiness. In other words, if there's really been a change in here, boy, it should show out here. Can I get an amen this morning? Amen. Did you notice what, Jesus, what John points out? He said, if you have two coats, give, give one of them away. If you have meat, give to somebody that doesn't have any. Boy, I don't know about you, i got more than two coats in my closet. What is John teaching? Is John teaching work salvation? No, he's teaching that if there's been a true change on the inside, there'll be radical love and generosity on the outside. He talks to the publicans about not exacting more than that is appointed. By the way, that's how the publicans made their living. Is, uh, they added to the tax. And John said, no, 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 no. Because if there's been a true change on the inside... There ought to be honesty and truth on the outside. Amen? You see, admonition to the soldiers as well. For radical love and generosity, honesty, peace, contentment, holiness, righteousness. We don't do these things in order to be right with God. But these things flow from us because we have been made right with God. In other words, confront the deception. Our faith is meant to function. Confront the deception. Our belief is, will is meant to determine our behavior. And I'm going to tell you, we have got to confront it when the outside behavior doesn't match what we claim to believe on the inside. It's like somebody's talking about how much they care about their health while they pound the whole box of mac, Kraft mac and cheese down in front of the TV. Oh, yeah, I love being healthy. Om, nom, 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 nom. You might think you do. But I'm going to tell you there's a lot of that going on in churches today. People claiming to love Jesus. People claiming to follow Jesus. People claiming to be Christians. Whose behavior does not match what they claim to believe. And by the way, Jesus... Addresses this too, Luke 6 and verse 46. He says, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? You know, if we're going to be like Jesus, if we're going to follow him and walk with him and learn of him and truly be his disciples, and and we are going to be an accurate, powerful, visible representation of Christ in this community, I'm going to tell you what, we got to prepare ourselves. It's a call to change direction. It's a call to confront deception. We must be honest with ourselves and with him. So John's message, first of all, is a call to what? Number one, we found John's message was a call to change direction. We found, number two, John's message was a call to confront deception. Look at me, verses 15 and 16. We're almost done. And as the people were in expectation, and all men mused in their hearts of John, whether he were the Christ or not, John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoe I am not worthy to unloose, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. We find the call to prepare is a call to change direction. Some of us need to repent this morning and just get back to following Jesus. It is a call to confront deception, but also a call to correct devotion. Now, John was a very direct preacher. We've covered that, you generation of vipers. Uh, But John was intrinsically positive. John was preaching the gospel. Jump down to verse 18 of Luke 3. And the Bible says, In many other things in his exhortation preached he unto the people. That exhortation, that preaching, that is the word for the gospel. And the gospel is good news. John wasn't a bad news bearers kind of preacher. John was a good news preacher. Humanity has a problem, but hallelujah, heaven has a solution. And John pointed people to Jesus. I love how the Gospel of John puts it in John 1 in verse number 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming and saith, read it with me church, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. John pointed people to Jesus. The glorious reality is when there was no way, God sent us the way the truth, and the life. His name is Jesus. I want to implore you again this morning, it's not about a religion. It's not about rites and rituals and doing these things. It's about receiving the Lord Jesus personally. It's about a relationship with Him. That's the good news, is that God loves you. He loves you. And there is no other way to eternal life. There is no other way to heaven. Don't keep going in the same direction. Don't be deceived. The ship of the Titanic provides, I think, an apt illustration at this point. It was a ship that was deemed unsinkable, deemed one of mankind's greatest achievements. It took over 15,000 men over three years to construct. Yet on the maiden voyage, though it had the best makers, and uh, though it housed some of the best people, British nobility, American industrialists, the the very uh, cream of the crop of high society. On its maiden voyage, after only three days... The Titanic hit an iceberg and sank. You know, in the end, there were only 705 survivors of the 2,228 that boarded. And this is the stark reality that when news of the Titanic's sinking reached the mainland, people only wanted to know one thing who was saved and who was lost. Possessions or net worth no longer mattered. Neither did titles or earthly achievements that they had garnered to their name. No, at that point in time, the only thing that mattered is whether they were saved or whether they were lost. And If you're here this morning without Christ, this is the point. When our life on earth is done, it will not matter how much money we have in our bank account. It will not matter the earthly connections we have made, the titles we have accrued, the positions we have held. It will not matter the number of accomplishments we have achieved. The only thing that matters when we lead this life and stand before God is whether we are saved because we have placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Or whether we are lost because we didn't. But John's message is a message of good news. Because although we have a problem, heaven has the solution. In just a few moments, we're going to have what we call around here a time of invitation. And really, it it is your invitation to respond to God. And don't don't close your Bible. I'm not done preaching yet. Amen. I hear people zip and I'm like, no, 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 no. We're still going. But if you're here this morning and you have any question about what it means to have your sins forgiven and be a child of God, come get my attention. Get someone's attention. Get the person next to you. Let somebody take God's word. Get it settled today. Because as Romans says in 6.23, though the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When we consider the call to correct devotion, we, we, we see the call to receive His grace for salvation. Behold the Lamb of God, John said. But you know, Christian, you know what I see here? I also see a call to recognize His greatness and surrender. Church, this is key for us. Christian, this is key for us. You know what? John was a great preacher, but John made the statement in verse number 16. He said, one mightier than I cometh. Look what he said. The latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. Boy, let that sink in. Here's the thing. I probably wouldn't untie your shoes. You know why? Because I don't want to. I don't like feet. Unless I can bother my wife. Like, no, I'm not going to. Okay. (laughs) I don't want to touch your feet. I don't want to take your shoes off. You know what? The idea of Me taking your shoes off. Like, okay, so we'll all be humble. Oh, I'll do whatever. Honestly, that idea, Eric, the idea of taking your shoes off disgusts me, okay? (laughs) I love you, my brother, but that ain't my job, right? Right. All God's people said, amen. Amen. You know, we think of the idea of taking off somebody's nasty shoes. That's beneath me. That's not me. You do that yourself. John looked at Jesus, and he said, You got to understand, he is so great. I'm not even worthy to touch the latch on his ship. You know, I think we've run into trouble in the church because we have forgotten that God is so much greater and God is so much more glorious than we can even imagine. We have lost the fear of God in our churches. We have lost the awe of God in our churches. And in doing so, we have lost the need for surrender to our heavenly King. When is the last time that you consciously, intentionally, just bowed your heart before Him and said, King Jesus, I am yours. Oh, I like the idea of walking with Jesus and talking with Jesus. Our culture loves the idea that, you know, Jesus is just our grand friend. And, you know, culture is very disrespectful. Church, God is not the big man upstairs. And I'm going to tell you when we get to heaven we're not going to fist bump or high five him. You know what we're going to do? We are going to fall at his feet and worship him. When Isaiah got a glimpse of God in Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 through 5, you can kind of scroll through it Liz. What happened? Isaiah didn't get up and dance a jig. He didn't high five people around us. He said, woe is me. He said, for I am undone. And he before the great God of heaven. When John got a glimpse of the glorified Christ in Revelation chapter 1, when he saw Him in His eyes and His clothes and all of these things, when I saw Him, John said, I fell at His feet as dead. You know, I think church, that if we're truly serious about preparing our hearts to follow him, we have got to decide now that we are simply surrendered to him. I'm not even worthy to unhook a shoe. And that being the case, King Jesus, whatever you say, wherever you send, I'm gonna go and do. I'm going to tell you, that kind of surrender, that Romans 12, 1, that living sacrifice kind of surrender is missing from our hearts and lives today. We make Jesus work for us. We fit Jesus into our lifestyles. But the call to prepare is a call to surrender. Surrender. We find here in John the Baptist, the call to prepare. It's, it's a message that is pointed and personal. What do we see, church, by way of review? Number one, a call to prepare is a call to... Number one, a call to change direction. Number two, it's a call to confront... I'll say it with me. Number two, it's a call to confront deception. Number three, it's a call to correct devotion. You know, if we're going to be the church that we're called to be, that we need to be, And be like the Savior we're called to represent. I'm going to tell you, we need to prepare to receive Him, to seek Him, to hear Him, to heed Him, to follow Him. I use this illustration, and I'm done. Think about coming to church this morning. You know what? John called his group a brood of vipers. You you guys are a good-looking bunch. You are. I can tell most of you put some effort into it before you came to church today. Most of you. No names, please. You know, many of us showered, even used soap. <laughs> many of us brushed our hair. I mean, Garrett back there, man, looking sharp. Many of us brushed our teeth. Many of us thought through it, and we we had our some of us had our how many of you had your clothes out last night? You already knew what you were gonna wear. Look at that, a number of you. I only have one suit that I fit in, so it's real easy for me these days.
0: <laughs>
1: Man, that's a lot of preparation for church. But let me ask you though we prepared our bodies and our hair and our teeth and our clothes, how many of us took time before we came this morning and prepared our hearts? Said, so, you know what, King Jesus? I'm coming this morning because I want you. Because I want to hear from you. And you know what, King Jesus? I know how much I need you this morning. And and Jesus, no matter what you have for me, Jesus, I want to hear it and I want to heed it. God, my heart is ready. But we prepared our hair. But did we prepare our hearts? It's 2024. We're already a month in. But praise God, church still matters. Amen. Amen. And today, I ask us, would we as a church answer the call to prepare our own hearts and remove all barriers from His path that He might speak to us and work in us and work through us as He is. Seize fat.